Fear and other feelings, number four. Let's go. One of the feelings I'm the most used to, as long as I can remember, is being relieved when plans that were made before get canceled so that I'm given an excuse to hang out by myself and do whatever I wanted. And most of the time, doing whatever I wanted means being on the internet and watching videos and playing music and just in general nerding out about like art. Like just now, I had a couple of job interview phone calls scheduled and then they got moved to a different day. And it was more relieving than I wish it was, or at the very least, it was probably more relieving than it should have been. I guess having a to-do list causes me more stress than most other things, probably just because I'm not used to it, or rather I'm not used to always having a to-do list and crossing everything off. So on a day like today, when there's like a bunch of things I do need to check off, I usually start out in a mode of being kind of pissed that it's not finished already. Even when some of the things that I have to do are things that I know will be fun, like today one of the things is going to meet a friend, which I know is going to be really fun. But for whatever reason, there's always this thing in the back of my head that's like, you get to go home after this and smoke a little and listen to the podcast you've been excited to hear all day. That's my comfort zone. Or maybe a more accurate way to say it is that's my most comfortable zone. Yeah, that's just one of the oldest feelings I can remember. It's I remember feeling like that when I was like five years old. Obviously, when I was younger, there was no smoking, anything, and there were no podcasts. I think podcasts only came to my attention around like age 15. Uh, but back then and before that, it was basically the same thing. When there was a day of stuff to do and it was finally over, it was always very relieving and kind of exciting, honestly to be able to be alone in my room and just sort of aimlessly surf the internet and just read stuff and watch stuff that I stumbled upon. I'm trying to figure out what is at the root of that craving, what's at the root of that comfort. And my first thought there, which I think I've said before once or twice, um, is that things can feel pretty light when you don't have to consider anyone else's expectations. And I think that as a kid who was sort of like alone in their room a lot, that alone time always felt the freest because there was no goal and no expectation from anyone else. And I just got to like follow my curiosity and wonder and just consume things that were interesting and fun. And I think the internet was the main source of that in my life for a long time. And a lot of times now it still continues to be. I think this whole thing uh, can kind of be seen in a couple, couple of different ways. I think the traditional way to see something like this is, oh, you just want to do nothing so that you don't have to put any effort into anything and putting effort into things is really what you're scared of as opposed to being around people. And on one hand, I definitely can't argue with that. My tendency certainly is towards laziness in a lot of situations regularly. But on the other hand, especially when I look back at it, I don't think it was necessarily so negative. So many of the things that I love the most only ever came to my attention because of all those hours spent alone on the internet discovering art and artists. Only time will tell what the end result of that will be. But I think I can say with decent confidence that I would not have podcasting or a comedy floating around my head if not for all the time spent consuming art. I've seen so many people and continue to see more people making successful, fulfilling careers out of what must have started as doing the same thing that I've been doing. 
the first people that come to mind are uh, Sean Fennessy and Chris Ryan from uh, the Ringer Podcast Network, who are basically pop culture nerds who are very, very passionate about movies and TV and endlessly podcast about nerdier aspects of those things. Their skill set of dissecting all sorts of filmmaking uh, aspects and their encyclopedic knowledge of movies and TV really deliver a great service to a lot of people and expose so many people like me to art that we would have never come across were it not for people like them. If I could sign up for any dream job, I think I would want to do what they do. As far as I can tell, the jobs of people like that is pretty much like be passionate about what you're already passionate about and then we'll pay you for it, which literally sounds like a dream, like like a fantasy. When I imagine being in a position like that, the first emotion that always happens is fear, fear of being a tiny fish in an insanely huge pond and having to scratch and claw for even the tiniest bit of attention. But then I remember that pop culture nerds like those guys and comedians and musicians have all had to put in years and years of dues basically and that reaching these dream positions is not impossible if you're willing to go do that yourself. Uh, how does that saying go? Overnight success takes about 20 years. When I remember that, it's kind of reassuring because I go down the list of basically every artist who inspires me and every single one of them have spent a huge chunk of their lives getting to where they are. Of course, there's your Billie Eilish types who seem to be on top of the world while still being a teenager, but I am very sure that she herself has spent a huge chunk of her life developing the skills and the artistic vision that we all see now. But that's a whole other thing. I'm glad I don't have the eyes of the world on me at age 18. I don't think it's a coincidence that most of, most of the people who end up in that position end up having something go pretty wrong for them. It's too much pressure. It's too much visibility, it's too much expectations, it's too many corporate suits trying to extract every dime from you that they can. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I have the right personality, to, or at least I don't yet have the right personality type to rise to a position like that and not lose important parts of myself, I think. Fame is scary. It seems like when you're famous, you have to devote somewhat significant energy to simply avoiding the traps of fame. Uh, the first example that comes to mind is Justin Bieber. Yeah, he's had his various tabloid headlines over the years, and it was probably kind of embarrassing for him to be made fun of for like driving his Ferrari too fast in like a residential neighborhood or whatever. That that stuff is that stuff is whatever. But recently, he was accused, uh, I think, by a few women of assaulting them or being coercive or something. And the only reason he was able to get out of that is because his management team keeps extremely meticulous records of all of his travel and hotel stays and stuff like that. Uh, it was the only reason he was able to disprove claims that were made against him that might have otherwise completely ruined his reputation. That's one type of thing that fame makes you deal with. But I think a different type of a thing is like Britney Spears, where, I mean, I only know a bullet point or two about what happened with her, but whatever it was, I think it's safe to say that reaching that monumental level of fame, a lot of times, it, it completely removes your grip on reality um, because there's a bunch of yes men around you. And yeah, once again, kind of like Justin Bieber, I guess there's probably a lot of corporate suits and uh, record label people and management people and media people trying to squeeze whatever money out of you that they can with no interest or concern in like your well-being or 
your mental stability or anything like that. And when you can't tell up from down anymore, if you're like a Britney Spears, I think it probably feels super lonely and isolating and probably makes you feel like you're insane. Then suddenly your shaved head is on the cover of every supermarket tabloid. So yeah, I don't think I'm interested in fame nearly as much as I'm interested in being able to make a living, make a career out of things that I already care about, things that I actually care about, which almost sound it's like saying it out loud sounds like kind of dumb. It's like, well, yeah, isn't that what like, isn't that just logical and obvious? Isn't that like what people should do? Isn't that what a lot of people do already? Who like how many people are like becoming a doctor because they don't care about it at all? Probably like very, very few people. But I guess it sounds like a fantasy instead of sounding, you know, obvious and logical because I've been taught by authority figures and news media for my whole life that art is not a real career and that grinding at some kind of job for many hours for many years is the only type of real career. As time goes on, as things keep changing like very quickly, I'm sort of in a position where I need to decide for myself if I believe that to be true or not, because I feel like each passing day is showing me that that's not true, that art can be a career, that if you push hard enough for long enough, it, it, like if you're gonna push long and hard for something, like it might as well be something that you actually give a shit about, right? Like, if there's not a base level of inspiration that you feel if you have to do something for years and years, like, how much money, how much money makes that worthwhile? I, I feel like it's either an insane amount or, or probably, like, none at all. I, I don't think, I don't think any amount of money is worth doing something that you don't care about if... You have to do it forever, basically. But yeah, I guess I'm just like, I'm just trying to remind myself and be in the mindset of like, okay, anything that you have to do or choose to do is going to require a shit ton of effort. So why not channel it into something that already inspires you? Because like, I've applied to a lot of jobs Obviously I haven't taken any of them, but I think the biggest reason for that is cause none of them seem inspiring or fulfilling or fun or sustainable in the long term for <laughs> my mental peace uh, amongst other things. And so every time I apply to one of them or every time I get on the phone with a recruiter from whatever company it was, like I just feel immediately deflated I'm just like, this is, I don't care about this even 1%. Like I can't even, it's difficult to even pretend to care about it most of the time. So it just, so that again and again, just makes me feel pretty hopeless. And then, so I gotta like try to remind myself to be like, yo, no, no, hang on. Like there's things that you like, you like art, you care about art. You wanna make things, you wanna talk to people, uh, which it's like, it's easy to forget that stuff for me sometimes when I get into like that fear mindset of like, oh my God, uh, 
I don't own a suit. Like, what are these people going to think of me if I like speak my mind? Am I if I get this job, am I going to never be allowed to speak my mind? If am I only going to be allowed to have like fake office friendships that are predicated on like being a company man and like yeah, just like having a fake persona all the time? Like is that is that my my fucking my destiny that I'm like assigned to? So yeah, I'm here just trying to hold out hope that growing up doesn't mean giving up. Okay, so now I want to talk about something that always interests me, which is the decisions musicians make throughout their career. And today I want to look at that through the lens of one band. Uh, a couple weeks ago, a British band called Bring Me the Horizon released an album and it got me thinking about them. I started listening to them about two years ago. Ultimately, they're a band I like and not a band I love, but the reasons for that are interesting to me and have come up on their last few releases. They are an unusual band. They released their first album 15 years ago and played a style that a lot of people would categorize as uh, deathcore, which is sort of like hardcore punk with death metal elements, but basically it is a very, um, it was a very scratchy, angsty, dissonant, heavy, punk type of album. And they developed that, that sound on album two and three into a heavier but much catchier and more accessible version of what they started with and, you know, gradually brought in like full-blown ambient synth sections and clean vocals. And then on their fourth album, Sempaternal, in my opinion, they finally crossed over from being a heavy guitar band with electronic flourishes to being an electronic band with guitar flourishes. That certainly was the case on their fifth album, That's the Spirit, where even that heavy part went away and it was just straight up like sugary pop songs with occasional guitars. And then their sixth album, Emo, uh, when I started listening to them and went back to all the old stuff, really felt like it came from a philosophy and base of electronic music, and so does their new album, uh, Post-Human Survival Horror, which they're calling it an EP, but whatever, I'm going to call it an album. You should listen to a handful of songs that I'll put in the description so you can hear the very dramatic journey that they've taken over the years and how they're completely unrecognizable from their first album. Most of the time, and especially in hardcore punk music, bands go through a very gradual change over their career, and there's a pretty clear trajectory from their first album to their last. And if there isn't, they're still usually operating within the same area that they started. Uh, none of the bands, I would say, that Bring Me the Horizon started out with strayed even a tenth as far, as, as far, as far away from the deathcore scene. Uh, and certainly not onto the pop charts like Bring Me the Horizon did. There's a pretty good explanation for why they did and why other bands did not uh, try to venture into the pop area. On their second album, Suicide Season, but especially their third album, There Is A Hell, the band had been programming electronic parts and synth parts on their own, and I assume 
with the help of some producers, but nobody in the band itself played keyboards or electronic um, stuff like synths until they got together with this guy, Jordan Fish, who is like a synth guy, a keyboard guy who had been in other bands. Um, when he came on for that fourth album, Sempaternal, there's a huge change in the band sound. Uh, it, it's unmistakable that like something different is going on here. There's layers and layers of atmospherics and additional sounds that weren't at all there before uh, because they have like a guy for that now. Uh, but not just that, he is clearly someone who approaches music from a pop angle, from a catchiness and maximalist production angle. Uh, after those first three albums, Jordan Fish comes on board and there's no more empty space in the band sound anymore. Not that there really was to begin with, but now it's like every little corner and and piece of the frequency is filled up with some kind of sound, even if it's tiny and barely there and only noticeable if you have your eyes closed and are really trying to focus on. Guitars and drums are in the background a lot of the time now. I really like, and I would say I almost love their second album, Suicide Season. It's a fucking aggressive, fast, sharp, punk album, metal metal album, metal core album, whatever you want to call it. When I heard it, I started playing it a ton. I got very familiar with it, and it's often been my go-to album for when I want it, when I want something to just like tune out with and groove with. But if I had heard that album when it came out, I might have been pretty disappointed by the next album with way more electronics and choir vocals and all that because my expectation would have been like, "Oh shit, uh, Suicide Season is fucking awesome. I'm ready for even nastier riffs and bigger drums on the next one. The Jordan Fish era, like the fourth album to the present, is, in my opinion, like a complete disowning of the previous era. Philosophically and stylistically and sonically, the goals are all very different. Bring Me the Horizon don't want to be a nasty punk band. They want to be an arena band with giant sing-alongs and with lots of fans who are girls they want millions of streams every time they put something out. They want to be big, which is no crime on its own. And to their credit, Bring Me have done something that I think you have to respect on an artistic level, which is have such a diverse range of sounds and styles that you legitimately cannot predict what the re next release is going to sound like. Their last four albums sound nothing like each other and all feel very different. The thing that keeps me thinking about this band is how even though I like so much stuff that they've done, very little of it resonates with me emotionally as much as it does intellectually. I'm impressed with technical aspects of things that they do and how things are constructed. I'm always like, oh, it's so cool how they came up with that. And I'm almost never like, oh, wow, I feel this like so much the way that it would be with any band that I would say that I love. Bring Me the Horizon kind of always have a cold feeling. Even when the sounds are warm on the surface, there's a there's a calculating coldness underneath that I can't help but always feel. I feel it the least on the albums that I like the most, but even with those, when I look back at their career and the steps on the path, I can't shake the feeling that their aim is much less about expressing personal emotions as, as it is to sound like cutting edge or like of the moment. And as a music lover, as a music nerd, for me, there's a trade-off there. Like I said before, on one hand, that means you never know what they're gonna sound like next, especially since they're willing to jump pretty far in different directions. But on the other hand, focusing on their place in the landscape more than focusing on what moves their hearts ultimately gives their music 
for me, an inability to feel intimate because it always feels slightly detached from the people who are making it. Nobody's bearing their soul. Nobody's bleeding or sweating or telling you to fuck off if you don't like it. And those are the things that define the music I love the most. A lot of things I love are ice cold on the surface, but it's the type of cold that comes from a fire buried deep down. That's, that's a different thing. Bring Me the Horizon these days have the coldness of waiting in a line at Starbucks. Everything's clean and everything's pretty enough and smells nice. And you're going to drink something warm and sweet in a minute. But this is not a warm place at all. You know what I mean? I love coffee, but I'm pretty sure Starbucks is a giant, unfeeling, industrial juggernaut that happens to sell a product called coffee. The vocalist of Bring Me the Horizon, Ollie Sykes, is perhaps the member of the band who leaves me feeling the coldest. One of the symptoms of targeting your music at teenagers or at people who mostly listen to pop music is having lyrics and vocal styles that are sort of melodramatic and cliche and simplistic. For me, this is not much of an issue on Suicide Season. If you play the big song from Suicide Season, the song Chelsea Smile, a lot of the lyrics are cheesy teenager vibes, but it still goes hard enough and is sung straightforward enough that a line like, the only thing I really know, I can't sleep at night, uh, is melodramatic in a fun way, not in a roll your eyes way. But then I listen to a song like True Friends from That's the Spirit, and I have to sort of decide to ignore the lyrics and focus on the musicality when I hear a line like, I wouldn't hold my breath if I was you, because I'll forget, but I'll never forgive you. Don't you know, don't you know, true friends stab you in the front. I think it's worth saying at this point that despite my complaints, Bring Me the Horizon have a base level of competence and a base level of, of diverse styles that they've earned my respect enough to at least try out everything that they release. Recently, it's been a mixed bag. I really like some songs on their album Ammo. I really like a couple of songs on their new one, uh, Post Human. Uh, they released this long ass electronic only ambient thing, which kind of seemed dumb. I don't think a lot of people even remember that it came out, but I think the fact that they're always trying something different keeps me coming back, even if it ends up being a letdown. The first song on their new album called Dear Diary is fucking great. I like everything about it. It's as close as I could ask for, for a return to their older style that I like so much from Suicide Season and from There Is A Hell. It's fast, it's heavy, it's short, there's no messing around. It's the exact kind of song to make if you're targeting someone like me. But even though I really like that song, I feel sort of let down because I end up skipping most of the other songs on that album because none of them live up to that one. On one hand, it's encouraging to me that they're even willing to go back to this vibe for one song because I would say it's like the heaviest or fastest song that they've made for like 10 years. Of course, it has way more of an electronic drive than those older songs. But for me, it's not about like, are there electronics or not? It's about, is there enough energy here to get me going? And on that one song, there sure is. For me, someone who is familiar with their whole career, a song like that is kind of a tease. I'm, I'm just like, damn it, man. Like a whole album of this kind of song would be so amazing. But I think the whole thing they're interested in is not being categorized and the way that you avoid being categorized is by making diverse albums so i guess like as with everything else in life it's a trade-off and they seem to be happy being a jack of all trades and usually a master of none 
there are bands who only make diverse albums but are a master of the, all the styles they attempt, like uh, Dillinger Escape Plan, for example, who have been cited as a big influence on Bring Me the Horizon. But the trade-off a band like Dillinger choose is always retaining tensity and always retaining introspection and foregoing mass appeal. They probably haven't made 1% of the money that Bring Me the Horizon have, but as far as I'm concerned, they have much more to be proud of, and I think history is going to back me up on that one. For heavy bands, it's the age-old question. Do you want to stay heavy or do you want to get big? It's exceptionally rare when bands get to have that cake and eat it too, like Slipknot or like Pantera, who never had to soften their sound to reach the top of the mountain. But I think they're outliers from a bygone era where that was possible. I think the evolution of the music industry, for better or worse, has removed the culture of the album, removed the culture of putting effort into music that's not immediately digestible. And that creates the unfortunate choice these days between making music that's challenging and making music that's accessible. Kendrick Lamar is probably the person of this era who struck the best balance. All his album tracks that most people don't hear are fucking incredible, but so are the popular ones that reach millions. And that's kind of the opposite of Drake to me. Kendrick is like, yo, here's 12 amazing songs. Nine of them take some work, but they'll pay you back more than you could ever imagine. And then Drake is like, yo, here's 25 random fucking things and three of them aren't so bad. But people don't want to put any work into their music listening, so Drake is higher up the streaming charts. I think I could keep going, but that seems like a good place to stop. I can't think of a band I have more mixed feelings about than Bring Me the Horizon, and anything that leaves me with complicated emotions usually keeps me pretty interested in it. So whatever your music taste is, I think you'll see what's interesting to me about this band if you play a handful of their songs which are in the description. And that, as they say, is that. Uh, check out those songs. It's, it's really interesting. It's just really interesting to see, like, starting from one place and then ending up in a completely fucking different place. And yeah, I think you'll see that progression. So thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.